Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. It's barrels. It's Monday, February fifth. Derek Van Riper, Eno Saris. We've made it through the position preview series. We're on the other side of it, Eno. Lots of great episodes in the feed. If you're just joining us for the first time here, now that we're into the early part of February, and uh, a lot of content in the last couple of weeks that we managed to get out. Yeah, and we're gonna take a break before we go into team previews and just have like a regular old news show. I mean, there's a lot of news that we've missed that we sort of have to pick up and make sure that we get a little bit of analysis on at least absolutely we squeezed in a little bit of news a couple weeks ago it always feels weird to do that on those preview episodes so we're going to start with a big trade that went down last week thursday we almost had an emergency pod i think we were both too tired to do an emergency pod so we said you know what everybody else is going to have a pod about this we'll wait till monday and cover it as part of a bigger episode the orioles acquired corbin burns from the brewers for dl hall Joey Ortiz and the 34th overall pick in the 2024 first year player draft. There is a ton to unpack here. I would just like a moment to have the floor. The thing that bothered me about it <laughs> is not necessarily the return, right? The return might be fine. You can rationalize six years of DL Hall and six years of Joey Ortiz, and we'll talk about the value they bring. It's the misdirection, I'll call it, of adding Reese Hoskins, which created this idea, for me at least, that they wanted to make one more run in Milwaukee with the core they had, as opposed to trading Burns now, trading Willie Adamas now, maybe trading Devin Williams now. Now all of that kind of feels back on the table, right? Had they not signed Reese Hoskins, I don't think I would have had the, the ugh reaction to this. It's just realizing that the job is now more difficult for this team. The questions about their pitching staff were there for this season, even with Burns as a part of that rotation. And now we've got even more questions. So first and foremost, congrats to the Orioles for finding a frontline starter. We've been talking about this as something they've needed going back to last winter. And now they've got their guy, at least for 2024. Yeah, I think one thing that's missing from some of the analysis, especially when you do... um, this kind of like dollars for war surplus value analysis uh, where you say, okay, it's one year of Corbin Burns and they have to pay him $20 million. And so he's worth, you know, 30 and, you know, so he's only worth $10 million surplus. And so, you know, if you do that analysis, then the Brewers win, you know, because the, the surplus analysis on, you know, two young players under team control for six years is going to be worth more than, just one year of Corbin Burns over his salary since you have to pay him anyway. The thing that that's missing in that analysis is what other top three starting pitchers were available? Like there's a scarcity here. War is a little bit more about like, what if like, what's your, what would your theoretical value be? 
But when you talk about actual value, he's a top three pitcher in the big leagues. Can you go call the Braves and gas for Strider? <laughs> you could not. No. You could, but they'll just laugh at you. You're right. The Yankees aren't trading Garrett Cole. I mean, do you think the Mariners would be like, yeah, for Kirby, we'll take Ortiz and Hall? <laughs> <laughs> but that's part of this, too, is just, you're right. In a vacuum, everything's totally different. But because of the timelines, ages, contracts, salaries, free agency, all those factors really muck this up. This is, from a fantasy perspective, it's like, imagine being in a keeper league with salaries. Let's say Corbin Burns is going into the last year where he can be held at like 40 bucks, And it's yeah. a 260 budget. And with inflation, because of all the prospects, he'd go for about 60 or 70 if he was available in the draft this year. But he's not available in the draft this year. He's the only player like that someone can trade. They trade him. They get two players back. Most of the league's like, oh, I would have given up more. And it's like, well, you know what? Like, this is it. This was the market. This is all we had. And the savings are real. But the long-term value of those two players you get back, if you've played in the Keeper League before and you know that a inexpensive $1, $3, $5 player that you're going to have for several years can make an impact, you know that you do win that trade in the long run. It always feels bad to trade away the present value. Mm -hmm. It does. There's just no way around that. I think from Burns' 2024 value perspective, I don't think much changes here. Because from a Parks perspective... I think it's maybe even a little easier to pitch at the new version of Camden Yards. We'll see what a few more years of data tougher bear though. out on that. You're gonna face tougher, tougher lineups. lineups. Tougher lineups being in the AL East as opposed to the NL Central. So probably a wash. I don't think I'm really moving him up or down on my board at this point. I think he's still probably an early second round pick, a top 20 overall sort of player for me. I had like a a, a, a high twos ERA projection on him. Maybe it maybe it crosses over to like a three one or something. It'd still be one of the best in the big leagues. It's still he's still one of the very top pitchers in the big leagues. And I think you know it's funny when you say I would have offered more because there was a, a fair amount of that around the internet's when that trade broke, where it's like, oh, why didn't the Yankees offer blah 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 and blah blah blah? And you know they'll say things like, why didn't they offer him Chase Hampton and uh, Everson Pereira? And you're like. Well, you might like those guys more than D.L. Hall and Joey Ortiz, but I'm fairly sure the Brewers had an idea that they could get what they could get from a lot of different teams. They they have more complete information than us, and I think you're selling short what they did get. I think that they, <laughs> I, the way I see the two players they got, I think must be the way they th- saw them because they chose this package. And so I, I I'm here to just push back a little bit and just say, you know, if they're if this is if the, if they have x amount of money to spend and there's always going to be at x and they're never going to sign Corbin Burns to a long-term extension, then this is the kind of this is the this is the bin they got to play in, you know. And uh given that constraint, which I don't really like, but given that constraint, um I like what they got. So one thing that uh, one thing that stands out for me is that DL Hall has had above average locations in the major leagues um, and in AAA over the last two years, and that is really weird for somebody that supposedly has minus minus command. Minus minus command. Jeez, I think that and it's true. Thirty grade command according to Fangraphs that would be minus minus forties below average. So. Yeah, and all the all the Orioles fans that were happy were like he can't he can't hit he can't hit the broad side of the barn. We we're happy about this, but how does he have these above average locations? If that's the case, so um, I, this reminds me of the Hunter Brown situation, 
where you know everyone has just declared the command is no good um and uh, you know i know hunter brown had an up and down season but i'm still pretty upbeat about him and i'm upbeat about dl hall he has uh, uh and some of this uh, knowledge of his command and his stuff is comes before kind of a, a delivery mechanical change so ever since he's done that he's got the velo back up uh he's you know in relief he's sitting 96 um, you know, that you have to dial that back to, to make him a, a starter. But if he's going to be at least average above average velocity, he's got two really good breaking balls and a changeup that's supposedly his best pitch. So I see a starter's arsenal, man, you know, like I'm happy with that. And then, uh, I've got a little uh, board for people up on YouTube. Um, uh, Joey Ortiz, uh, hit the ball 114.9 last year. Um, and he uh, also had a swing strike in the major leagues of 11.6%. So I went and found some comps. I also took out the guys who had like 12 and 50% walk rates because he doesn't look like that kind of player. So I took out a lot of Ron Lacuna, Juan Soto's that would have been on this list. Uh, but just looking at major leaguers last year who had a similar max EV and a similar swing strike rate, you get a really good list. Christian Walker, George Springer, Royce Lewis, John Zagura, and Noel V. Marte. I think he probably has a little bit more uh, power than Segura. I guess Segura is the worst case outcome because in terms of power, because Joey Ortiz hasn't really gotten to that power all the time. And Fangraphs actually says he has you know, minimal pop. But I think a guy who's hit a ball 114.9 uh, has raw power. And I think this is probably what the Brewers are looking at is here's a guy who can make contact at an average or above average rate and has hit the ball really hard. Let's see if we can coax like a, our own Royce Lewis out of this, you know? And uh, I, I think it's, it, maybe it's not probable, but it's possible. And worst case scenario is you've got a guy who, you know, has good raw power, can't always get to it and smacks you like 15 homers a year, but makes good contact and plays good infield defense. You know, so it's a that's a pretty high floor, too. So you get a high floor infielder who has some ceiling left and is ready to play in the big leagues. And I that's sort of how I describe DL Hall from the pitching side too. decent floor as like a late, you know, as a closer. Um, but uh, good, some good ceiling left as a, as a starting pitcher. So I'm, I'm pretty excited about those two names that they got. I think it's it's a good get for them, even if the Orioles had had that to give, given their other prospects that they've got. Well, this is the other thing that teams that are willing to trade prospects usually have depth in their system. That's why they're willing to trade. And then people say, well, we'd give our sixth or eighth best prospect up for this player. Your sixth best prospect isn't that good. Your eighth best prospect isn't that good. This is the benefit of having a great system at work here as well. I believe Baseball America just gave them uh, the best, uh, the best prospects, the best farm system or second best. Yeah. And you see a lot of top 100 lists coming out. I know Keith Law's list just dropped at The Athletic. I think ESPN's just came out recently. You're going to see five, six brewers in those top 100s. And now this is a, a team that is actually built to stay competitive. But I think that's where the, yeah, the brewers one the foot other, in, one foot out. They were yeah, also like they're, they're right three. there. DL Hall, for, for me, is a guy you would have to start this year. At least try it. And if it doesn't work, then shift him to the bullpen. I haven't seen a confirmation just yet. But he was starting last season... At AAA, and I think it was a back injury or some arm weakness that might have slowed him down, pitching really well for the first month or so of the season. It was like 37 strikeouts and 27 to third innings. He always misses a ton of bats. 
there's plenty to like here, but the, the need just seems so clear. When you look at what's in this rotation, Sands, Corbin, Burns, <laughs> Freddie Peralta's the ace. Yeah. Like, Freddie Peralta gets the opening day start now, which is actually in a weird way, something that like, kind of warms my heart for Freddie. Like, I'm really happy for him. Right. That's great. The problem is what, what happens on day two, three, four, <laughs> five of the season for a team that has been doing exceptionally well year over year. You have to have a lot of faith in some of these guys behind him, right? You still see Aaron Ashby on that depth chart. We have to see him healthy this spring. I think Hall has to start. They're taking the flyer on Joe Ross as a, a comeback candidate this year. You know, Colin Ray, we've talked about him before. He's a back-end innings eater. That's fine. Clearly, Wade Miley is important to them. He's probably taking the ball on day two of the season as they're built right now. Maybe some other late move is coming to add another starter. But this is kind of strange. And then you start thinking about Robert Gasser, Jacob Misurowski, some of the prospects in this organization. Gasser, I think, is closer. If you said pick one of those two to be in the opening day rotation, it's Gasser for me. I think the command's a little better. And we've seen him at AAA a lot just in the past year alone. So I think that's part of the solution. But it is, it's sketchy right now. It's a big leap to think that this is a good enough rotation to win this division again as it's currently built. Yeah, and I think... You know, Jacob Mizorowski has had some command issues of his own. He has a 30 uh, present 45 future on fan graphs. And, and I think that describes, you know, how people think of him as well. Uh, but 21 and had 21 innings at double a last year. I don't know how many more uh, you give him at double uh, a this year, if he's pitching well and the command seems to be better. So I'd say you have Mizorowski and Gasser knocking on the door. They'd probably start the 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 season in the um, minor leagues, especially if Joe Ross pitches well enough to to give him a couple shots in the bullpen, but in the in the starting rotation. But I would say that like you know Ross and Ashby, Ashby's health and Ross's quality in the spring are de- going to determine how the end of that uh, rotation looks. We're going to go ahead and take the Willie Adames uh, hug watch meter and oh bump it up gosh. to orange at this point. It's uh, one notch away from the top. I-, I think when you look at the infielders they've got, by the way, I mean, think about Ortiz. He's a legitimate defensive option at short. That's a pretty big deal. Bryce Terrain can play short. So it frees the Willie seems to, like, redundant. Take anything back from Adames instead of you know, if the Dodgers are talking to you and they want Adamus, but they don't want to give up Lux, you know, in the past, you'd be like, well, we kind of need an infielder. Now you can say, all right, well, let's talk about outfielders. Let's talk about starters, you know, like maybe you give us uh, one of your young starting pitchers back along with a bat for Adamus. So a young pitcher and then like Ryan Yarbrough too to chew up innings. Like we need more of that right now in this Brewers <laughs> rotation. We need more spackle right now just to put this whole thing back together. But uh, a rough trade for me. I think in the long run, it probably works out for the Brewers, just not quite the the timing <laughs> that I was hoping for, especially with being back in Wisconsin, man. I want them like all in all the time. I don't want these little lulls. Maybe it won't be that much of a lull. I'm very selfish as everyone can tell. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? 
Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. There was another trade that went down not that long ago, kind of in between now and the last time we talked about the news. Jorge Polanco gets flipped by the Twins to the Mariners in a four-player swap. Gabriel Gonzalez, Justin Topa, and Anthony Desclafani all going back to Minnesota. And there's a related move that comes soon after for the Twins, too. But we said the Mariners had a weird infield, I think, when we talked about them a few weeks ago. And this certainly helps because now you've got a guy in Polanco who can be, when healthy, an everyday option at second base where it looked like there could be a bit of a revolving door before this trade. Yeah, Polanco, you know, increased his his uh raw power and uh his game power over the course of his career and has been holding steady at you know a kind of 111 max ev with 10 percent barrels those are both um not necessarily like top of the line across baseball but definitely easily above average um and so you can kind of believe in his power i think even translating on the level he's got like you know 20 25 homers a year I think he can do that in Seattle. Uh, one thing that was nice, I was like kind of looking through his his spray charts to be like, oh, is this going to work or whatever. I forgot he was a switch hitter. It's nice to be a switch hitter. I mean, he's got a little bit less power against lefties. Um, so it's not like he had, doesn't have any platoon split. But it just makes it more likely you're going to be in the lineup every day when you're healthy. Uh, you, you know, He's not going to be platooned. I think with his arm, he's the he's the guy at second, and it uh, creates on a team level sort of a Josh Roas, Luis Urias, uh, Dylan Moore battle in third base, um, where I think they want Rojas to 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 win the job. But uh, I guess that's a position battle to watch in the spring. <laughs> a position battle that may be featured on the upcoming Seattle Mariners preview segment That's of the right. show. But uh, yeah, as far as the park factors goes, looking at the rolling three year for homers, especially, and just seeing the overall target field is a 104. Uh, you look at you know, T Mobile Park, it's a 98. Mm-hmm. We know Seattle as a ballpark suppresses runs as a whole, too. So it's a slight it's, downgrade. Yeah. But Polanco is going to be right in the heart of that order. So it's only a modest drop. And he was already undervalued for me in terms of where people were taking him. Well, outside the top 200 in drafts so far this winter, I think he belongs inside that group. So unless he jumps four or five rounds, I could see myself having a lot of Jorge Polanco in the middle infield spot of my rosters this season. Yeah, he's kind of almost got the exact average batting line for fantasy baseball this year, at least in 15 teamers. uh, His projected batting line, 257. Uh, you know, 24 homers and seven steals is almost exactly what you need from every lineup slot, which sounds boring, sounds oatmeal except that you can get him at a less than average price, basically. You know, you can get him later and get average from him, which is still pretty good. There's a fifth player involved in this trade. There's four players going back to Minnesota. Darren Bowen, a right-handed pitcher, also goes back. The, the interesting prospect for me was Gabriel Gonzalez. Like I, I thought that was the name that kind of popped as someone that got to high A last year, was really young for the level, just turned 20 the first week of January, 
Uh, the numbers fell off a bit with that promotion, but there's been some power, there's been speed, there's been low strikeout rates. You know, Long term, he projects to be a great defensive outfielder. Um, so a lot to build off of here. Maybe someone who's just more on the dynasty league radar, of course. It's going to take a couple of seasons before he's ready to contribute in Minnesota. I also wondered if they actually have a use for Desclafani, whereas when we looked at him when the Mariners first acquired him this offseason, he kind of seemed like another redundancy. Like He seemed like a slightly healthier version to replace the Robbie Ray roster spot on a team that really didn't need someone to do that. But in Minnesota, we had some questions about rotation depth and, and maybe Desclafani gets to be uh, early season glue if there are injury problems and he's got to be healthy himself. But uh, we've seen Louis Varlin kind of bounce around between roles. Semyon Woods Richardson could break through. Chris Paddock, we, we know there's a lengthy injury history there. Like That's a lot of uncertainty to rely on behind the likes of Lopez and Ryan and Ober as their first three. You know, I think it's preferable to have optional, uh, optionable uh, starting pitcher depth because if you think about keeping a guy like Discafani on the roster, how do you get him enough innings to remain stretched out if he's not in the rotation? But at some point with a veteran, especially on a contract like this, at least you don't have, you're not like, you're not really worried about him. <laughs> you're not like, oh, what about his progression? What about this? What about that? I think he's just going to be glue where he's the sixth starter, but he's on the roster, which means even if you start him, you're only expecting three or four innings. Uh, but he can come in and give Louis Varlin three innings, or he can come in and give Chris Paddock three innings if you give them rotation spots. So I think he's going to be uh, Jake Junis-esque, uh, for the Twins, where he's just the glue that keeps the roster together. It's not super enticing, I don't think, in fantasy. Um, and it might even steal a little bit of value from guys I like a little bit more, like Louis Varlin and Chris Paddock. Uh, but for the Twins, who are trying to win regular season games, um, I think this Scafani will be really uh, important for them, actually. It's a kind of a boring trade, though, a little bit for me, uh, <laughs> for the Twins. Um, I know that people were really excited about it. You know, just the fact that they have Eduardo Julian, like, doesn't mean that just because you have surplus doesn't make the surplus less valuable on the open market. You know what I mean? Like, they had an option. They had an option if they got rid of Polanco, but that didn't mean they had to get rid of Polanco. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think they also have the well, they have a TV deal that's up in the air. Right. They're on that list of teams. They have some self-imposed financial constraints. Although they did go out and get Carlos Correa, bring him back after all the drama last winter. I think every dollar they save maybe can be another they spend on something else. We kind of saw that with Carlos Santana being the quick addition. And it's good news for Edward Julian because he's just the guy at second base. We've talked about his limitations against lefties. So maybe he sits against Southpaws if those continue. They play Kyle Farmer or you know one of their bench guys in those spots. But Carlos Santana's arrival seems problematic for some of the other depth options here. Alex Kirilov's had a difficult time staying healthy. Jose Miranda's trying to play his way back into a role. Trevor Larnock's trying to find time either in left field or DH. Like Some of these young guys will be depth as a result of Santana being there because I don't think they brought in Carlos Santana to play him half the time. Generally, coming off a pretty good season last year, I imagine they have ideas on giving him something close to the 600 plate appearances he racked up between the Pirates and Brewers last year. Yes, I would probably have cut that $4 
Alex Kurloff from my auto new team. <laughs> you know, has regrets on this Monday morning. <laughs> if this move had gone in before that. I still think Alex Kurloff is better and he's projected better um, and he's younger. And I think this could actually be that Kirilov is the preferred option and this is just uh, a backup plan. It's $5 million. I actually think he could be uh, kind of a part-time player for them. The projection is so mediocre. The bat X gives him a 90 WRC plus. Even his best projection is for 103 WRC plus from Steamer. So, you know, I, uh, and the defense has been sort of uh, going down over time. So I could see them, him being their DH when Buxton is in the field, which is what they said. There's going to be more Buxton in the field. Um, And the first baseman, maybe against lefties. Uh, when Kirilov is on the bench. But I think Kirilov is still the future at the position, and a 37-year-old $5 million stopgap first baseman is not going to keep him out of that if he plays really well. And if he's healthy. I mean, that's just a huge, huge part of the story so far for Kirilov. I, I think your your $4 Kirilov hold might actually be okay because <laughs> they can coexist at first base and DH. That's possible, but someone... Someone who's been buried on rosters that people are excited about won't actually get enough playing time as a result of Santana taking a significant share of what's there at first base in DH now in Minnesota. We saw Justin Turner land on a new team. He lands in Toronto. Didn't quite see it work out that way. I mean, is he really a third baseman at this stage of his career? Does he help fix that problem where... You could see IKF or Santiago Espinal getting a lot of run. Maybe some Davis Schneider. Like, what's what's behind this signing? Is it just the faith in the bat and kind of making the defense work? Yeah, I think they they wanted another bat, and um, it's a righty. They've been long trying to get more lefty bats, but uh, in terms of batting, uh, he might be uh, just batting alone. He might be preferable to even Matt Chapman next year. Um, you know, so maybe they just said, we'll buy the bat. We have enough pieces on the rest of our roster to make things work defensively with Davis Schneider and Santiago Espinal and Isaiah Kiner-Falefa. It still feels like one more infield bat might be the, the way forward for this team. But I'm uh, right now trying to see um, what outs above average thinks of his fielding. He has gone in the last three years from a positive to a big negative minus four last year uh by Stackcast runs uh run run fielding run value so um i don't know if you do play him at third he will be bad there could just play him at second i think i think it was rob silver who suggested that i know rob's a big jays fan it's like well yeah why not like if, if you have better range than the alternatives or even that's not necessarily gonna be the case for turner but if you're more of an arm problem at third, try second. That seems like a reasonable adjustment to make. It seems like it's range that he's lost, though. But if it's yeah, if it's missing range, then that's not going to work as well, especially in a reduced shifting era. I think he's most likely going to DH, but maybe you know circumstances will force them to play him in the field. Um, but you know, at DH that hurts uh, Alejandro Kirk. Um, I think Danny Jansen's the first catcher there, so. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so Alejandro Kirk's uh, play, share of playing time went down, and um, it does put that group—Davis Schneider, Santiago Espinal, and Isaiah Kiner-Falefa—into kind of 
a battle for playing time with each other um, where I don't think uh, Blue Jays fans win. Although Schneider is kind of a fun guy in terms of this is a guy who's trying to pull fly balls and hit tanks. Uh, and he hits the ball hard enough, I think, to, to do something like this. Uh, the strikeouts that come from an approach like that um, might keep the batting average down. But right now, he looks like a player who's projected to be at least maybe almost 15% bend league average with a stick and give you positive defensive value. Uh, so uh, I have just officially uh, kept myself from underrating Davis Schneider. So let's just put <laughs> Davis Schneider as the starter at second base and say third base will be you know, manned by a collection of players. And that's fine. It works if you have enough bats elsewhere and it's third base that you're going all glove at instead of center field or catcher or shortstop or some of the places we see teams that more often, it all works out just fine. Uh, I think Aurelvis Martinez is the guy kind of waiting in the wings, a big step forward for him at AAA, really young for the level everywhere he's been. I'm kind of curious to see if he breaks through at some point this year if they don't like what they're getting at second base from the likes of Schneider and the other cast. They're currently rotating through that spot. And let's not forget about Addison Barger. He did not have a good season last year in AAA, but I do believe there was some injury uh, uh, participation in that. And he did hit, still hit the ball 113.7 miles an hour with a average-ish strikeout rate and a better-than-average swinging strike rate. So there's still the raw pieces there for Addison Barger um, to, to put it together at 24. Might might be one of those guys, since it's taking him a little bit longer to get there, that you don't have that you don't think you have the same ceiling. But, you know, if he gets healthy and he turns that raw power into game power, uh, you'll be hearing his name again soon. If you're as obsessed with basketball as I am, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Hey guys, this is JJ Redick. Twice a week, I'm cooking up something special for basketball junkies on my podcast, The Old Man and the Three. I bring on guests in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, like Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash or Paulo Bencaro on his shooting workouts with Kevin Durant, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron when they were teammates in Miami. But it's not just about the player interviews. Every Monday, I break down the top three things happening around the NBA without the outlandish takes. Often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler, we dive deep into topics like rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? The Old Man of the Three is the only companion podcast you'll need during the playoffs this year. Be sure to listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Let's move on to another trade. The White Sox had a busy weekend. Uh, they made a trade with the Mariners, first sending Gregory Santos to Seattle, and the return included Prelander Barroa, Zach Deloach, and the 69th pick in the 2024 draft. So it's the first of, of two trades that were announced by the team, and we thought Santos was the kind of clear favorite to be the closer for the White Sox. So nope, that's not going to happen now. 
maybe he's one of the better threats to take over the role from Andres Munoz, or if Munoz gets hurt, maybe he could step up for the Mariners and be that guy, but now he's just part of a loaded bullpen in Seattle instead of the standout option in a bad pen. So I guess good for him. I mean, more more fun to be Santos in Seattle than to be Santos on the south side of Chicago right now. Yeah, I think it's going to be a bad season in the south side. And I, I think Bold. that the, the bullpen may be one of the worst in the big leagues uh, as it's currently put together. All the guys that were good are gone. Gregory Santos, Reynaldo Lopez, uh, Liam Hendricks, even a guy like Johan Ramirez, Jake Diekman, Joe Kelly, Kendall Graveman. These are all guys that had the best. I'm just reading down the list of stuff plus in the bullpen last year, and they're all gone. Um, Kenyon Middleton. So the only the only guys now that are going to be in the uh, – they're going to be in the bullpen this year that have above average stuff is Garrett Crochet. Crochet. It's not Crotchet. Crochet. <laughs> I know. In the middle of that, I was like, am I about to say that word? <laughs> Garrett Crochet. And uh, Michael Kopech, if he is a reliever. All right. I mean, I don't want to blow up the White Sox preview before we get there, but I think they kind of need to see if Michael Kopech can make it one more time as a starter. I think they kind of need to. Yeah. They so go then, that route. Well, then you have uh, incomer Prelander Baroa, who, again, I think the same what you were just saying about Kopech, you kind of like you need to give him a chance. Okay. So Prelander Baroa does not have a lot of pitches in the big leagues. And I'm showing you a heat map now that has 28 pitches on it. I took the, I took the, um, there's like a setting you can have on Fangraphs. So you take off the smoothing because I just wanted to see like if he only has 28 <laughs> pitches, don't smooth it out for me. Just show me where the 28 pitches were. And the reason why I have this heat map up here, 28 pitches that Prelander Barrow threw to righties is that you see some red in some places you don't want to see red. So basically in the mm, waste zone, as they put it on Baseball Savant. So just non-competitive pitches uh, of those 28 pitches he threw to righties eight, nine, ten, ten of them were non-competitive. Like, we're not talking even close to the zone. We're talking, like, not anywhere close to the zone. Like, no one would ever swing at these pitches. So, like, a third of his pitches are, like, not like not competitive at all. So, that is backed up by command grades and location plus data and whatever. That is the, the big problem with, with the quote-unquote problem with Baroa is the command and um, you know you can start him but this is the kind of profile that usually ends up uh, going ending up in relief where you either slim down the arsenal or you just tell him to throw as hard as they can right down the middle uh, because you know the command is pretty bad as far as the other pieces that have come back uh, Zach Deloach I mean played all of last season at AAA Tacoma Popped 23 homers, got on base at a 387 clip. Yep, PCL rules apply, you know, age to level. He wasn't young for the level. Fair a second rounder back in 2020, so he's a college guy, drafted in 2020. I think he plays a lot, though. I think that's sort of the theme of some of the pieces the White Sox are getting back in these trades. It's just guys are going to throw out there right away. Some maybe not quite finished products like Baroa. Others like Deloach probably wouldn't have gotten an opportunity as wide open as the one they're going to have with the White Sox this year because the other trade they made is they acquired Dominic Fletcher from the Diamondbacks. Uh, Christian Mena, one of their pitching prospects, goes back to the D-backs. And Fletcher was one of those guys, like no matter what you 
what you did with that depth chart in Arizona, you really couldn't find playing time for him, mm-hmm. at least not a steady role. He's at least been interesting enough throughout his time in the minors where you kind of want to see what will happen. It's probably you know big side platoon in the long run is the most likely outcome, but the White Sox don't even have to do that. So I do think if you're in a league where playing time is just really important, usually 15-team leagues and deeper, draft and hold, mono leagues, Dominic Fletcher was quietly a pretty big winner this weekend going to a rebuilding team in Chicago. Yeah, and we we'd had before uh Oscar Colas as a as a bit of a lowdown guy on the outfield uh, uh preview and I got a question uh I forget where and I, you can send us questions at uh, what's the what's the uh email ratesandbarrels at gmail.com. Right, and and you can also on Twitter get us but um you know, the question was, what is Lodum? Lodum is just modeled, spelled backwards, and it reflects the idea that, like... Incorrectly. Uh, incorrectly, yeah, right. Uh, but it uh, it also just reflects the idea that, for me, is that sometimes I want to make choices that are just different from the choices I normally make so that I have a little bit of diversity of strategy in my leagues. I don't have exactly the same players in every league. I don't have exactly the same approach to modeling. Um, and then there's also just um, a component to Lodum, which is um, opportunity sometimes trumps quality. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so you can get too focused on all the things Oscar Colas can't do uh, and then forget that he has an opportunity to play. Well, th- today, uh, Lodum suffered a loss uh, because now there are immediate options that are probably better than Oscar Colas, actually, <laughs> uh, at these corner outfield uh, spots. Uh, I did see a joke that they're trying to fill the outfield with Benintendi's. Um, uh, I, I'm not so high on Fletcher because he doesn't hit the ball very hard. And um, so I'm not, I'm worried about him. Deloach doesn't make a, a lot of contact, but I think longer term, I'm into Deloach. And as a, I think he's already 24. And as you mentioned, uh, 25, as you mentioned, he's already spent so much time at AAA. I think the Fangraphs depth charts are getting Deloach wrong. They have like Kevin PR and Gavin Sheets and Dominic Fletcher ahead of him. Um, I don't, I don't know why, why mess around with that lineup? Why not make Deloach one of your four regular outfielders? I'm just looking forward to that preview so much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, uh, the 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 trades are weird for me. I don't uh, they don't inspire a ton of confidence. Like generally what the I would say the trades have done so far is just bring in a lot of kind of mediocre players. They're getting volume. And yes, I don't know if that volume. means that they So <laughs> When you have an organization that was as thin as the White Sox became, right, very top-heavy, the big league roster was pretty good, nothing else was really working in the minor leagues for the most part, I know they got a couple nice high-end prospects like Colson Montgomery, but generally, organizational depth has not been a strength of the White Sox. You can go get volume, but if you can't develop players, and if you can't identify the correct players who are blocked in the first place, you're just going to like speed at the bottom even faster. Mm. And I'm not trying to imply that that's exactly what's happening here, but that's my fear if I'm a White Sox fan. Look at this and saying, okay, sure, we're turning one guy who's really good, Gregory Santos, who could get hurt and not have any trade value, into two players and a pretty early draft pick. That's kind of good for the long haul if we can make 
Prelander Baroa happen. Yeah. <laughs> if we see something in Deloach that makes him good enough to be a regular, a lot of the guys they're getting, they're going to be so bad. Some of the guys they're getting are going to be traded before the White Sox get good again. Mm. So you have to be able to turn these guys into another generation of tradable players. Player if you're actually so going important. to see, yeah. Yeah, if you're going to be successful in this rebuild, because they're also tra- if you're trading for older guys, that's the other part of this. You're not going to be a quick rebuild. It's not just play, player development. It almost makes people think always it's young. Uh, player development encaptures coaching for me, you know? Right. So you saw what, what the Giants did. Even you can, you know, sort of coach up veterans too. You should do both. There's no yeah. reason why you have to pick one lane. It's not easy, but I think, you know, prove as an organization you have this skill and then this approach could actually you know, bear some sort of fruit. Uh, Speaking of the previews that we're looking forward to, let's welcome two new members to the A's rotation, Alex Wood and Ross Stripling, getting there by different means. Alex Wood chose to be an Oakland A. Ross Stripling was informed that he's an Oakland A via trade with the Giants. Uh, This is going to be the bulk of the A's payroll, but two veterans that would be kind of right on the cusp of a rotation for a championship caliber team who will actually get chances to just work every fifth day and basically pitch as much as their bodies let them in Oakland, which kind of makes them interesting for our purposes in fantasy. Yeah, it's funny for them, too. They uh, Their lockers are right next to each other in San Francisco. <laughs> so, uh, you know, locker mates going uh, over to the other side of the bay for what will be uh, one of the most depressing seasons in the history of baseball. Uh, someone should almost chronicle it if they can have the they have the stomach for it. But uh, hmm. uh, this is the last season that they have a, a lease on that stadium, and they're currently frantically trying to figure out what they're going to do after that and before a theoretical stadium in Las Vegas is finished. So that'll be terrible. Uh, what uh, does happen is it, it hurts one of my favorite sleepers uh, a little bit, Joe Boyle. Um, is now going to be in a bit of a fight with Luis Medina um, for the fifth uh, spot in Oakland, I think. And it'll be an amazing, an amazing battle because they both have really, really high-end stuff and no concept of the strike zone. Um, Both maybe some of the worst command among starters in the big leagues. So uh, that'll be an interesting thing to watch this spring. (laughs) I do think that uh, they could either go to a six-man or Alex Wood has kind of been somewhere in between a starting pitcher and a reliever uh, recently. I don't know if that's just San Francisco. I don't know what Oakland has ta- told them. Um, I think you might be right that maybe they're just putting him in as as uh, starting pitchers. But uh, they also haven't been the most durable guys themselves. I don't know if it's phantom IL slots they've been on, but they've been on the IL. Um, so Joe Boyle will still get his chances this year. I'm hoping they just install him in the rotation and um, let him eat, as they say. But, uh, you know, it is funny that you have these guys uh, like Ross Stripling that kind of pop every year where they add a pitch or their command is better or maybe they just get a half tick of velo or just healthier. Um, you know, you talk about these wide arsenal guys with command. Um, and Stripling uh, is working on something called the Death Ball, uh, which uh, is one of the two pitches that we've been promised will be the future of baseball this year. That and the splitter are supposedly 
uh, going to be the it pitches in baseball this year. The death ball, um, Alex Lang throws one, Pete Fairbanks throws one, Jordan Montgomery's uh, curveball is a bit of a death ball. And what you get from a death ball is sort of a one-plane curveball. It's, it's a curveball that does not have the sort of sweep that you think of normally uh, curveballs having. It's kind of a one-plane little... And, uh, you know, of course, the harder you throw it, the more you throw it like Peter Fairbanks, the better. Uh, and so uh, when Jordan Montgomery throws his 80 uh, and when Ross Stripling throws his 80, uh, it's not quite uh, as the moniker makes it sound, makes it sound so, uh, so intimidating. Uh, but, you know, uh, Ross Stripling, opportunity, talent in his rearview mirror and a wide arsenal where maybe just the addition of the death ball along with the changeup that has been improving, gives him what he needs to kind of battle his way through five innings. That pitch name just immediately made me think of the the canned water, the liquid death. <laughs> it's water. <laughs> this is an effort to take a thing that is pretty normal, but to make it seem extraordinary. Oh, 100%. 100%. It's a pitch. It could be a good pitch. You know, it's water. It's probably all right. It's just... <laughs> Well, my kid, the marketing worked on my kids. We were at, we were at a show. Uh, we were at a Imagine Dragons show, and they were all drinking liquid death and feeling like you know, feeling like teenagers. Hey, I guess as long as it does something good like that, that's all. That's all we really need. <laughs> if it makes Ross Stripling feel like a badass, then it might be might be what you need. Just call it the death ball. <laughs> confidence, confidence goes a long, long way. I, there's almost like a. Was a ten percent chance he's an A after the trade deadline? He's going to be in oh, a contending teams pitching staff. One hundred percent pitch your way off this team mentality. <laughs> Everyone, everyone's trying to pitch their way off this team yeah. right now, and for good reason. We're coming up on pitchers and catchers reporting to spring training. The news feeds are red hot. Uh, as a thirteen-year uh, employee of RotoWire, I, I use RotoWire for my news to gather it. It's much easier than trying to track everything on Twitter these days. It's good. We got stuff at The Athletic, too, of course. But if I need it all just condensed to one place, that's where I tend to go. Even the smallest items, you know. And yeah, and, that, and that's that's what always leads us to the, is this news? What, do we care about this? <laughs> Some of this stuff we definitely care about. We're going to start with the important stuff. Is that butterfly Sh- meme where the guy has the butterfly up and it's, is this, is this news? <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's exactly what it is. So we've been wondering, Shoyotani, is he on track for the early opener, right? With the series in Korea against the Padres. All indications are he will be, per Fabian Ardaya of The Athletic, Otani will be somewhat limited at the start of spring training. And there's still some questions about how they're going to handle his uh, throwing rehab in season. Mm-hmm. But by all accounts, they had their their fan fest, the Dodgers did over the weekend. Shohei expects to be in the lineup for those two games in Korea in late March. Which will ruin all of our fantasy leagues, and there'll be people drafting after those who get to draft stats from those games, and you know you'll come on, or your or your team won't, you know, count those, and you'll be like, oh, I lose two games, yeah. So, uh, yeah, but it's kind of cool though too. They should count. The game should count, even if you draft afterwards. Not a big deal. Long season. Yes, you get a free peek. It's only two games. Two out of one sixty-two. I think it'll be it'll be okay. Uh, but good news overall on Otani. Uh, other Dodgers-related news, Gavin Lux, full go for spring training after suffering a torn ACL last year. And by all accounts, he seems to be their choice at shortstop, at least for now. <laughs> knowing knowing we talked about about 40 minutes ago on this podcast, uh, anything could change at a moment's notice at this point. More importantly, here's one for you. Carlos Correa 
is having a normal offseason. This is part of a notebook that Dan Hayes wrote at The Athletic recently. Does this matter for you? Do you trust this? Do you believe that that Carlos Correa is actually undervalued where he's been going well outside the top 200? I mean, it's it's a longer-term concern about his health that ultimately caused all of the rewrites of the contract during his free agency process last winter. But this seems like pretty good news. Yeah, I'm not a doctor, so I don't really know the interaction of plates and screws in your ankle and how that uh, might create a plantar fasciitis situation. It, it doesn't seem like a stretch to me that those things could be related. I mean, ankles and and pins in your in your uh, joints make them a little bit less flexible. You know, that uh, plantar fasciitis is a, a connects basically the front of your foot all the way up to your Achilles. It's it's all like sort of connected in there. So it is it may not sound like it's part of the ankle, but it's, you know, it's part of that mechanism down there. Um, all I'm saying is uh, I like Carlos Correa because the price is so low, not because I am projecting him for 670 plate appearances this year. Oh, so you're a, a rational person. Okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, he still hits the all ball fair. hard, and I don't think he should have a batting average in balls and play as low as he did last year. And I don't think everything should fall apart at 29. Um, and so, you know, I'm just intrigued by how cheap he is. Ooh, guess what? We get some breaking news. <laughs> breaking news, breaking news. This one's straight from uh, Slack from our, our buddy Tim McMaster. Oh, what's that? An extension between Bobby Witt Jr. and the Royals. Oh, there you go. 11 years, $288.8 million. Wow. ESPN has the story. All right. Jeff Passan. They believe in him. They got him. They gave him their their Tatis deal. Yeah. He's their guy. It makes sense. I mean, he's moved into that elite of the elite range for fantasy purposes, elite kind of for real life purposes as well. Nice to have a franchise player like that to build around and Hopefully, a sign of things to come. I like that the Royals were aggressive this winter overall, and this is the this is the move that you can be truly excited about. They only pay until fan. he's thirty four. <laughs> he's pretty young. He's pretty young. Whew. Yeah, that's exciting. That's a nice yeah. deal for Kansas City fans. That is something to put your hands around there. Literally, just saw this as of like thirty seconds ago. It looks like there are some opt outs after years seven, eight, nine, and ten. There's a club option for an eleven season that adds three more years to it potentially. So lots of different ways this one will play out. But an exciting day for Royals fans. Nice to see that, and we'll probably dig into that deal in more detail on a future episode, perhaps even the Royals preview. Uh, let's talk about this one. No limitations. For Joe Musgrove and you, Darvish, this spring, we wondered about this during pitcher week. Where are they at? We got the update. They've been throwing. They've been act- They've been normal. Normal. Normal, 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 normal. That's all I want. I want normal. Yeah, speaking of not being doctors, um, uh, my discussion of the, the Bursa sack. <laughs> oh, yeah, you should give lectures on the Bursa Joe sack. Joe Musgrove's draining uh, prompted <laughs> someone to send us a picture of the elbow with the with the Bursa sacks highlighted. So thank, thank you for that. <laughs> More talks of draining sacks on rates and barrels, please. Um, the uh, and I also pointed out that the the, the injury that 
uh, Yu Darvish had is one that he's had before in his career. It's a repeated stress injury to the tip of your elbow. And in what happened to him last time was that he just backed off of it, had a short season in terms of innings, and he came back in 2019 and had one of his best seasons, um, you know, I think ever. I'm not saying that that's exactly what's going to happen for you, Darvish, this year, but I do think that, you know, with a repeated stress injury, you step off off of it. He didn't have surgery. That's always good. It's always good to not have surgery. And uh, and he stepped off of it. He had a, he had a lower volume season last year. I think he could do 160, 170 innings of a pretty good you Darvish, maybe a little bit higher threes ERA than when he was at his peak, but still going to have the strikeouts. He can spin so many different pitches. Uh, and his sinker has been really great in San Diego. He told me that it had to do with the the sort of humidity and the weather down there. So uh, I think you uh, uh, Darvish is a buy for me this year, and Musgrove to an extent too. Um, he's a little bit more expensive, but both of them uh, I think are are buys relative to their price and is normal. Normal is yes. good. And I think you'll see you'll see the price go up even further on both of them. Musgrove, he's the seventeenth pitcher in the auction calculator right now by uh, the bats projections. I think that's a very reasonable sort of expectation for him. I think he's being drafted as more like pitcher twenty five right now. So if you want to know where that gap is likely to close, it's probably about that far. Darvish, I think, jumps inside the top two hundred overall pretty easily as we move through drafts here over these next two months or so i mean there's just plenty to like as far as the home park goes but musgrove musgrove could be your weight for an ace type that could absolutely work in more shallow leagues so i'm definitely excited that both of those guys are having a normal spring or a normal winter heading into spring training i think the pitchers and catchers for the dodgers and padres report on friday already because of their earlier start to the season wow uh, yeah is this also news jackson merrill is going to take Reps in the outfield this spring. I think this was in the Ken Rosenthal notebook that I saw on Monday at The Athletic. And they've also mentioned that Xander Bogarts could change positions at some point. But at least with Merrill, they're looking maybe at a way of getting him on the roster a little bit faster and to have him fill a clear area of need in that rotation of outfielders. Yeah, 20 years old, 211 uh, plate appearances at AA, but a very clear organizational need. <laughs> right yeah. now, you've got Cal Mitchell and uh, Terso Ornelas uh, in left field. Ornelas is projected to be 20% worse than league average with a stick. Mitchell is projected to be uh, 15 uh, points worse than league average with a stick. So uh, that's not what you want out of a corner outfield situation. I I think that Merrill's value is too too strong at shortstop for this to be the solution, but it does tell me with bright honking letters that there are uh, there's playing time in this outfield to be had and that they are considering younger players and not maybe signing an Eddie Rosario type uh, to block any of them. So that would be good news for you know, so this is this sounds like it's news about Jackson Merrill. For me, it's good news for Grant Pauly and Jacob Marcy, uh, because those guys have played in the outfield, are older, and are closer to the big leagues. And Jacob Marcy's coming off an AFL where he was the MVP. Grant Pauly uh, had a really great season in the minors last year. 
you know, I just think that they're a little bit more positioned as older players to maybe take this opportunity and run with it and get swim move past Cal Mitchell, Ornelas, and Jose Azokar, who are atop the center and left field depth chart. So if you want to take some shots at Marcy or Pauly uh, late in your drafts, I think that might be a good idea. Yeah, they got wide open opportunities. Uh, you know, Tucapita Marcano is maybe a name you'll see atop the depth chart over at Rotowire in left field. That doesn't seem like an ideal fit. I guess with Jake Cronenworth on the roster, you could play Cronenworth almost anywhere and sh- shuffle guys around too. That could be one other way to to work around it. But I think the the Pauly and Marcy calls in particular make a lot of sense based on what's going on with this team right now. And uh, if Jackson Merrill takes to an important defensive position, then yeah, maybe. Maybe there's a clearer path for him. Center field, you look at that wide open. Jose Azokar top the depth chart right now. I don't think that's going to be the full-time solution for this Padres team this season either. Not. I don't think it is. They they're they're not they're not nearly bad enough to just like give up on spots like that. Mm. They're still they can still be competitive. They could still be the last team in the playoffs in the NL this year. That's still at least in their range of outcomes even though it feels like it's all falling apart quickly. There's still a lot of really good players on that team. And if Fernando Tatis, you know, bounces back a little bit and becomes, you know, a superstar, there's a chance you have like two, 2.5 superstars on this team. So that's a really good foundation. And what they did with all their trades in the offseason was try to attack their depth situation um, and get guys that are in the high minors uh, to contribute, at least on the pitching side. So a lot of those guys could pop. At least they have more depth than they've had in the past. Um, and right now, a, a, a need in the corner outfield, if they do have, you know, four or five million dollars left in the budget this year, they can still go get Eddie Rosario and th- he won't block Paulie or Marcy if he's having a bad season and those guys are, are hitting well. So I, I think they do have one more move left in them, but I still like those two young outfielders. Yeah, Eddie Rosario to the Padres does make a lot of sense now that you've mentioned it. <laughs> Seems like pretty easy plug in for them in left field. Uh, here's another one. Colt Keith is going to play second base for the Tigers, played more at third last year uh, between AAA and AA, signed an extension. I don't think we talked about that because that happened during preview season. But by all accounts, Keith's going to have every opportunity to lock down a starting job in spring training. I would say he's probably a favorite to win the job at second base, which makes me wonder, could we see Justin Henry Malloy squeeze his way onto the roster at third? I know there's a lot of questions about his defense, but if Keith's playing second, that at least leaves that hot corner open. Yeah, I, I, they're going to say all these things about like, oh, Colt has to win the job and, you know, blah, blah, blah. They don't want to seem like they're just giving it to him, you know, because they signed that contract. But, you know, really, once you sign a contract like that, there's no so financial impetus for the team to keep you down. right? And there's, in fact, uh, you know, a reward in the collective bargaining agreement now where if they put Cole Keith on the opening day roster and he becomes rookie of the year, they get a pick. So there's so many incentives for them to start Colt Keith from the beginning that outside of just a horrible spring, I think he's got it. And I like his combination of, you know, the ability to spray the ball, but, you know, sort of turning that into pull power recently, turning that into pull power without losing his ability to make contact. He does have really good walk rates and decent strikeout rates. So. I think he's going to be, uh, you know, a benefit in every category. I don't know what the steals will look like. So maybe it's you know, kind of a, a, a 260, 25, 20 homers, five uh, stolen base package for Keith. But I like him. Um, with Justin Henry and Lloyd, like they don't have that contract. 
I don't know that anybody thinks that Malloy would necessarily win Rookie of the Year. Uh, you know, he's got a little bit more flaws in in, in his um, in his approach, but the option right now that they're saying is like Zach McKinstry and Andy Abanez are going to fight it out for a platoon at third. And I think Zach McKinstry and Andy Abanez are like really good uh, platoon uh, utility guys, um, you know, to, to help your depth of your team. But I don't know that they're long-term starters of the position. So I don't know why Henry Malloy won't get a, a good look this year, if not from opening day. Yeah, I think there's probably more of a left field DH profile there. I was looking at the fielding numbers. We don't talk about fielding percentage a lot for good reason. Kaufman, do you see an do you see an eight ninety seven on a lot of oh, players that get to play on the infield? No, normally you see nines. Yeah, that was a, a sixty game sample at Toledo. So they split sixty games at third, twenty nine and left, fifteen and right, and then thirty one is the DH. I think left field DH is the the ultimate home, but he should hit enough to do it and. What does he have left to prove at AAA? Spent all of last season at Toledo. You know, continued to be a well above average player, 417 on base with 20 plus home run power. I think it works. One thing you should do, maybe in the spring, uh, as a fantasy player, if you're interested in him or a Tigers fan, is watch where he plays mm-hmm. in spring. I think that'll give you a, a, a good idea. If he's still playing third and they want to try him at third and he plays third and he plays and how much he plays. So does he get a lot of plate appearances and does he play third? If both of those things are a yes, then he's closer to making the opening day roster because I think as a left fielder, um, you know, they may want to put him out in left field, uh, you know, to start the season in spring in, in the minors just to be like, okay, we're going to move you to the outfield now. Um, and, you know, we want you to be comfortable out there. Plus, they have more sort of representative major league starters in the outfield. I think with Riley Green and Parker Meadows, I think that's two all-the-time starters. And a, a Canna-Badoo-Veerling uh, situation out there. I, I kind of I like that a little bit better than kind of like Veerling, McKinstry, Ibanez, you know. Um, but uh, both of those are surmountable uh, obstacles for Mulay. We'll continue. Just another five minutes or so, probably. Jock Peterson is a Diamondback now. That actually is definitely news. It, it may have been uh, part of why they were so comfortable trading away Dominic Fletcher, having one more lefty with power on the roster, made a guy that didn't have a lot of power a lot more expendable. How does Jock fit in for Arizona? Just platoon, big side DH? Is that just what he is at this stage of his career? Or do you think they could actually make him an occasional outfielder again? I think he's going to DH. I've seen enough of Jock Peterson in the outfield. <laughs> I, you, I got to see it up close, and it's it's not good. Not good. Uh, his his whole his whole vibe right now is sort of like beer league softball. <laughs> he's he's got this really kind of open stance, and all he's trying to do is just turn quickly on pitches on the upper inner part of the plate and yank them out of the ballpark. That is 100% what he's trying to do all the time. He has a good enough eye and good enough ball, hit, you know, bat to ball um, naturally that he can do all that and sometimes serve the ball into the outfield uh, or sometimes take a walk. Um, so he's a, he's a good player in terms of you know those skills, but he's not he's not gonna he's not changing the Diamondbacks much. It's he's gonna give him a win or a win and a half. Uh, for twelve million dollars, like that's 
that's what that's what's happening here. And for fantasy, I think it's it's a tough use case because you basically want to be in like a fifteen team with daily moves. Auto new. <laughs> auto new, yeah. One dollar auto new guy, two dollar auto new guy that just helps you out when he's playing. I think that's the way to look at it. Big side platoon should work there, should be in the heart of the order when he plays. Yeah, I think Universal DH extends the career of a guy like Jock Peterson. If we were in 2017 looking at this skill set we'd be saying he's a year or two away from hitting dingers for the dutch goose softball team but, <laughs> but there's still a lot of runway for him i think as a result of every team having that at their disposal i would say this probably puts emmanuel rivera on the small side of the dh platoon and squeezes a guy like Pavin smith into a clear like bench extra guy sort of role i think if there's a clear loser it's Pavin smith if he makes the roster i think if you're talking about building a bench here you go with barnhart uh, what? How many benches do we have? Five, right? Four. Four. You go with Barnhart behind uh, behind the catcher. You have to have a backup shortstop. So I think Lawler makes that that roster, right? Right. And Perdomo have, might effectively be the backup sooner rather than later if Lawler's the guy. Right. So that's two of your. You've eaten up two of your spots. Um, you know, I guess there's a chance Jace Peterson makes it as the utility guy, and then the fourth outfielder is Jake McCarthy. There you go. That's her. Oh, we haven't even put Rivera in on this. So it'd be Rivera against Rivera and Paven Smith against Jace Peterson for the last spot. I think Peterson makes more money. So that probably helps. He's also very versatile. So a really nice bench player to have. Yeah. Rivera so doesn't have great defense and really can only mm-hmm. play third. Yeah. So that could be kind of fun to watch. Everyone stays healthy. Uh, last one for today. Hunter Brown is working on a slider. This is according to Brian McTaggart of MLB.com. Does that move the needle for you? I saw. I read this stuff from um, Chandler Rome where he talked to... Uh, he talked to Hunter Brown. Ah, there we go. There is a piece on The Athletic about Hunter Brown from Chandler Rome on January 26th. And um, Hunter Brown talks about his mechanics falling off a little bit. I think some things in my mechanics changed, probably due to fatigue, without realizing it, Brown said. I was getting a little bit more crossfire, which diminished my ability to get my fastball away to right-handed hitters. And so he, he talks about how you know he, he's mechanically got some things he wants to look at. And I think that's uh, interesting because I looked at his location plus... You know, I thought, oh, okay, so the reason he added an e- a run of ERA every month, Hunter Brown, was because you know his his command got exposed and he was giving he was giving up taters and you know just couldn't you know couldn't command the ball. Maybe that's maybe that's still true, but his locations were still above average. Uh, but that doesn't mean that necessarily he's getting exactly where he wanted. He was just getting it in the zone. Um, and, and getting into, into okay locations. So I, I think uh, I'm still uh, pretty bullish about him. If you look at Hunter Brown's projections, they're all good. You know, they're all like, you might be surprised by how good his projections are. And uh, his stuff plus still pretty good. And here's a mechanical thing that he's working on to, to, uh, to improve himself. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm into Hunter Brown this year. Yeah, it's actually a really good write-up that Chandler had, too. I had not previously seen this, where the, the problem was that you know the four-seamer and then that cutter slider. Like if you looked last year, he had a slider that was showing up as a slider on, on Baseball Savant. This is just changing to something that looks a lot different, which makes sense for the pitch mix. And 
given how many different pitches Hunter Brown has shown, it seems like he's the guy that can make reasonable adjustments. Yeah. I mean, I don't know exactly how to find like the the exact starter package I want out of a young player, out of a young pitcher. But the fact, uh, because if you have all of them, then you're just perfect. And so then we'd just be looking for perfect players all the time. You know, like if, if I tell you, oh, yeah, he's got he's got a great fastball by shape and velo. He can command it. Uh, he's got a bunch of uh, uh, of highly rated secondaries. He can spin it, you know, then like, yeah, OK, I've, I've described Bobby Miller and I don't think anybody else. You know? <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, you have to you'd be like, OK, well, can people make it with not great fastball command or not great fastball shape if they have these other things? It's something I'm thinking about now because I want to write about I'm going to do this soon. Five young pitchers that are ready to break out. And if you think about it, they got to have some sort of flaws. You have to think about what are acceptable flaws. For me, something like Hunter Brown's command is an acceptable flaw. Uh, given the rest of what he can do. Yeah, I would wonder too, command of some pitches, like having command of some and not everything, that might be more acceptable than just having no command, right? right. There's there's a lot of there's a lot of middle ground between Perlander Baroa and, you know, Hunter Brown. Right. There's a lot of other possible combinations there. Like like you know, is it more important to have fastball command or what if like we are in a slider league now. There seems to be a lot of people who don't have great fastball command, but can command their slider well. Yeah. Right. Which of those is more problematic right. generally. It's hard to say. So that'll be a fun piece once that one comes out. Uh, if you want to check out the story that Eno just referenced, the one that Chandler Rome wrote about uh, both Hunter Brown and JP France, check it out. Theathletic.com slash rates and barrels will get you in the door for $2 a month for the first year. we got lots of great baseball content. we got more fantasy baseball content rolling out. It's going to be a big, big year for us here on Rates and Barrels and at The Athletic. You can find Eno on Twitter at Eno Saris. You can find me at Derek Van Riper. You can follow the pod at Rates and Barrels. That's going to do it for this episode of Rates and Barrels. We're back with you on Tuesday. Thanks for listening. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.